Do you want to see Jesus return? Of course. How's that going to happen? There have to be Jewish people living in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, to recognize him for who he is and to welcome him back. He ain't coming back unless that's true. The thing that's going on is, I'll say, a satanic, demonically inspired attempt to delay or to prevent the return of Jesus. How can he bring as much destruction as possible before that day? I think that's what we're seeing. Welcome to a special edition of A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host Carly Berna, joined with Ezra Benjamin. We wanted to talk about what's happening in the world, which is something we always try to do on this podcast. But based on what's happening in Israel, we wanted to have a special edition this week to talk about it. That's right. As uh, most of our listeners know, uh, war broke out very recently in Israel due to the really unprecedented in the history of Israel uh, terrorist uh, infiltration of Israeli borders, and then, as we know, quite tragically, the murder of over 1,300 uh, Israeli citizens. So, like you said, Carly, even though we're in between uh, recording seasons here at A Jew and a Gentile Discuss, uh, our listeners have been asking us, hey, can you help us make sense of what's going on? And we felt like we couldn't wait. Uh, we're recording this on day 12 of the war in Israel. Uh, it's uh, Wednesday, the 17th of October, excuse me, the 18th of October, uh, just for context uh, for those who are listening in the days to come. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get this out really close to this recording date so that all of the stats we're quoting aren't totally out of date. Right. Um, but Ezra, I, even just me personally as a believer have gotten so many questions from people in my community because they think I'm so tied to Israel because of where we work mm -hmm. that they're asking me all sorts of questions that while I have more knowledge than them, perhaps, I think a lot of Christians are asking. So yeah. hopefully we can help answer those today. Right. Being in the Jewish ministry world or serving at a, a Messianic Jewish ministry, right? Jews and Christians who both believe Jesus is the promised Messiah. Yeah. Uh, often these kind of topics, what's happening in Israel and the Middle East, and what's God doing with Israel and the Jewish people, these are, we could say, niche topics, right? That it's almost like, why are you talking to me about this? And now the script has been flipped in the last two weeks, week and a half and counting, where people are going, hey, would you please talk to me about this? Right. So here we are, and we wanted to, you know, again, we're not going to cover everything today. If you're waiting for some comprehensive Middle East peace plan as we see it, you're not going to get that. Yeah. But we just want to take the headlines and take some of what we see in the history of the region and also some of what we see in the scriptures in the Old and New Testament and try to make a little bit of sense for our listeners uh, uh, regarding what's going on. Yeah, definitely. So let me just kind of frame what I know, and then you can provide some more context. It's interesting because as someone who has lived only in America, um, when I think about the Middle East issue, it's like I don't really even have a framework to put it into when mm -hmm. I think about things that happen in America and you know issues that we have in America. Mm -hmm. So when, when this broke out, you know, like you said, 12 days ago. Yeah. Uh, my background would be, okay, yes, I know that there's some issues in the Middle East already. Right. You know, there's rockets sometimes going yep. in Israel, out of Israel, you mm -hmm. know, a little bit about the Iron Dome and mm -hmm. the protection that Israel has. But it just kind of felt like it happened so randomly. Yep. I, mean, I mean, randomly is... It, I mean, it so might be suddenly, a, a so stretch. unexpectedly. Yes, right. suddenly. Um, you know, what was the the build up to this and what are they actually fighting about? Like, who is it? We've heard multiple names, Hamas, Hezbollah yeah. and Israel. Like, yeah. What's the issue and what did something did Israel do something 
to provoke that initial attack to get yeah. where we are now? Yeah, so many. There's like yeah, four questions <laughs> there. So I, you're gonna have to remind me the questions because yes. each one could be like a novel, right? But let, let's go with first of all, what's different, right? Because as you said, I think the American perspective uh, is very often either Israel's okay now, right? Like I'm not hearing about it. No news is good news must right. be. And then every once in a while, you see the CNN or the BBC or the Fox News or wherever you're getting your news content, right? You see the footage of. Uh, sand dunes and tanks and rockets and destroyed cars and angry people uh, shouting in Arabic, which we don't speak and so we don't know, right? And and right. rinse and repeat. And then somehow it goes underground and there's some deal brokered and we don't hear about it again. Mm-hmm. So what's different about what is you know has been called the war in Israel and now actually within Israeli society? My wife's Israeli, so she's getting all this Hebrew language news uh, and kind of giving me the inside scoop in that regard on a daily basis. Uh, but it's now being called the Simchat Torah War. And why is it, why is it called that? Because just like uh, uh, in the 70s, the Yom Kippur War was called the Yom Kippur War because it was this concerted attack of multiple Arab nations' armies and special interest groups all concentrated on the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, right? It's Yom Kippur. Everybody's fasting. And so there was this planned, premeditated effort that we're going to strike Israel at her weakest, most vulnerable moment when she'd least expect it. And that's exactly what happened. And Israel suffered great casualties. Not as great, not nearly as great as what happened 12 days ago. So did they know, they, quote unquote, the enemies, know that this was Simchat Torah? They do. They do. Many Gazans, uh, you know, Gaza borders Israel, right? It was part of Israel until it was... Uh, given away in in 05, 06, uh, under Ariel Sharon at that time in Israel in this land for peace deal. And that could be a whole podcast. I think we can look now 17, 18 years later and say, how'd we do? How did the land for peace experiment go? Mm -hmm. And we only have to look at the last 12 days. But that's um, political commentary for another time. So yes, what, what maybe our audience doesn't know is that many Gazans have a work permit and cross the border from Gaza into Israel every day. Some speak Hebrew, maybe not very well, but they speak it as a second language because it's the language of commerce in that area. Mm-hmm. So are they aware of the Jewish calendar? Yeah, they're aware of the Jewish calendar. Were they aware that two Shabbats ago, two Sabbaths ago on the Jewish calendar is the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles and also what's known as Simcha Torah, the joy of the Word of God, where people would be literally dancing and celebrating all day. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating that God gave the Jewish people the Torah, Mm -hmm. Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so there's parties in synagogues, there's dancing in the streets, and because it was a Shabbat and this holiday of Simcha Torah and the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, which all coincided on this particular Shabbat, in Israel, this is a rest day of rest days of rest days, right? This is the day to relax, to celebrate. Nobody's working. Buses aren't running. Of course Hamas knew this. Who is Hamas? I know you asked me that, and why does that matter? We'll get to that in a moment. But let's say, of course, the perpetrators of the terrorist attack in Israel knew this. And what's come out interestingly since then is, and this is from the mouths of the organizers of the Hamas attack themselves, they said, we watched Israel the last year, we watched the political division, we watched that people were preoccupied with internal domestic governmental problems and infighting, and we knew this is our chance, which, you know, we can all take a, take a clue from that, right? Yeah. In America, we've had our, our share of political division. Now, we don't, you know, thankfully, Canada and Mexico are not terrorist entities at our border waiting right. for any chance they can get to break in and kill people. Right. Praise God. Uh, I don't mean to make light of it, but, you know, uh, 
this idea that there was there was a a knowledge that Israel was preoccupied, that Israel was divided, and that this special day on the Jewish calendar was coming. And Hamas knew that and organized this effort so that it would happen exactly, one, when Israel didn't expect it, and two, when Israel was least prepared to respond to it. Okay, so let me clarify. You said, you know, the, the Gazans, yeah. they they know what's happening on the, on the Jewish calendar. Right, many do. Is yeah. that... Are they all Hamas? No. And where does Hamas live? Yeah. So Hamas literally means the resistance in Arabic. Mm -hmm. That's what Hamas means. And it's existed since the 1980s. And it exists. What are they resisting, right? If our name means the resistance, you got to resist something. Mm -hmm. Their charter documents say a couple super important things. They say we we exist to resist the usurper occupation by Jewish people of our land. So that's kind of the premise, is the Jews don't belong here. And right away, I think this is kind of a wake-up call for the Christian community worldwide, where we've said, ah, you know, it's a complex issue. I don't want to say something that's politically incorrect. We put the Israel issue and the does, does do the Jewish people have a right to the land of Israel thing in a box, right? And we don't want to face it. Right. But I think now one of the things that's kind of a worldwide wake-up call is people have to make their decision on that. You either believe that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who for Christians, of course, also is the Lord of the whole earth, right, uh, made these promises to Israel and the Jewish people, in which case, because of his faithfulness in his time, since the late 1940s onward, he's seen fit to bring back the Jewish people to their ancient homeland and to allow them to reconstitute as a political state. Okay? You either believe that that's God's providence and his faithfulness, or you don't. And of course, groups like Hamas don't. They believe Israel, the Jewish people, have no right to that land, that it's Arab people's land, that it was the Palestinian people weren't a people, interestingly. And is it the whole land they're wanting? All of Israel? All of what the Arab people, or Hamas in, in specific, would call Palestine. Yes, they want the whole of Israel. Okay. So they're resisting Jewish occupation of the land. But then there's some other things that we have to understand here, because the temptation in, in incredibly complex situations like the war in Israel, like the Simchat Torah war and everything that's going on right now, is to paint with a very broad brush to help ourselves make sense of it. And what do I mean by that? We can tend to start using language like, well, you know, the Palestinians, or even more broadly, right? Well, you know, the Arabs. And, you know, a lot of Americans don't even realize, well, you know, Iran and the Arabs. Newsflash, Iranians are Persians. They're not Arabs. So what's their... What's their commonality here? They're two separate people groups. Mm -hmm. What's going on? And the marker for Hamas and for Hezbollah, interestingly, and Hezbollah uh, means the people of Allah, in case you didn't know. It's an interesting, the people of Allah. So these two terrorist groups, what sets them apart is that they have named in their charter documents that they are waging jihad. They are waging Islamic holy war against who? Against the Jews, who they view as an enemy of Muslim people, as an enemy of Arab people, as an enemy of Palestinians, as an enemy of the Persians. And their purpose is to not rest until, if you will, the Jewish problem, meaning Jewish presence in the land and the state of Israel, are wiped off the map. And literally, in their charter document, they say, our work will be done when when. Allah will give insight to Muslims who are hunting Jewish people hiding behind rocks and say, there's a Jew hiding there, come kill them. And people are listening going, that sounds so sensational. This is like Hollywood. It's actually in their charter document. Yeah. So, and are Hamas and Hezbollah 
connected. Like, so from my very immature understanding, Hamas attacked 12 days ago. Right. But then there was fear that Hezbollah was attacking from the north. Like, is that a... Did they plan that together? Are they related? That's the interesting thing. So even, you know, Mahmoud Abbas, who heads up the Palestinian Authority, right? He's the one who brought the request for statehood for Palestine to the UN. He's an outspoken, uh, angry critic of the existence of the state of Israel and the Israeli government. Mahmoud Abbas and Hamas absolutely disagree with one another. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And And Abbas, interestingly, a few days ago said, I do not support what Hamas is doing. They don't represent the Palestinian people. So the leader, the leader of the Palestinian Authority said, Hamas doesn't represent us. And in the same way, Hezbollah and Hamas represent slightly different sects of Islam. And the interesting thing in, you know, the Christian world, many of our listeners are Christians, right? If you disagree with somebody, you form a new denomination. Right. And in the Jewish world, for our Jewish listeners, if you disagree with somebody, you say, that's the synagogue I'd never set foot in. And you go to another synagogue down the street. Not so in the Islamic world. In the radicalized Islamic world, if you disagree with somebody on the tenets of Islam, you kill them. You kill them if you have the opportunity. And so you have these couple players right now, like you said, Hezbollah up on the northern border, who's being financed and weaponized by Iran, and Hamas down on the border in Gaza, mm-hmm. you know, on the southern, southwest border of Israel, who's also being financed and weaponized by Iran. And Hamas and Hezbollah would kill each other if they got to each other, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm. And so you have major players like Iran who is committed to the destruction of the Jewish state. The Ayatollah has said on multiple occasions, Google it, listen to his speeches, we will drive the enemy, who is the Jewish people, he just calls them the enemy, into the Mediterranean, and then our work will be done. And we're drowning the Jews in the sea, and that's when our work will be done. It's almost like Pharaoh language, right? So Iran is funding both of these terrorist groups, but their common enemy is the Jewish people. Okay, so that's what has to be understood here, because, you know, we can all watch, we can watch the news and we can see things like a free Palestine, you know, uh, march in New York yeah. City, right? Or pro-Palestinian uh, demonstrations at some of the major prestigious universities in the United States, right? This, this almost violent free Palestine demonstration in London, on the streets of London a few days ago. And we can say, okay, so Hamas is about freeing Palestine. No. The free Palestine cause has glommed on to what happened 12 days ago. But what happened 12 days ago wasn't about and it didn't represent the Palestinian people. It's an Islamic holy war whose sole purpose is to destroy Jewish life. And I hope that for our audience helps people to start to understand, wait a minute, why is it that in a moment of weakness and surprise, which we still don't understand in Israel how it happened with an Israeli defense force operating the way it does on all its borders, that... Over a thousand jihadist terrorists representing Hamas were able, for the first time in Israel's history, in any number close to this, to actually make it into the land of Israel. And what do they do? Do they do a free Palestine parade? Do they march on the government? No. They went to villages with women and children who were resting on Shabbat, celebrating a Jewish holiday, and they locked them in their bomb shelters and set tires on fire, and they beheaded babies, and they stole women and abducted them to Gaza where they're being tortured. And I know this is intense language, but the point we have to understand here is there's a radical Islamic holy war agenda at play. And if we don't understand that, 
we're going to misunderstand the headlines, and we're going to lump free Palestine and the difficulty of Arab peoples in the region, and is Israel being too aggressive, and Hamas and Hezbollah, we're going to put it all in the same pot. It doesn't belong in the same pot. Yeah, and I think when you say radical Islam is the key point, because first you said Islamic holy war. Well, your Muslim neighbor here in America is not part of that. Totally. We say that so often, right? That to stand with Israel, which, spoiler alert, we here at A Jew and a Gentile discuss stand with Israel. We we do it on the basis of the scriptures. Uh, We can do it on the basis of God's enduring plan and promises for Israel. We can do it on the basis of Israel being the only democracy in the Middle East, if you don't want to deal with the scriptures. But we're standing with Israel and Israel's right to exist and to defend itself and to survive in this moment. That being said, the error, and we say this on so many of our episodes, Carly, the error that Christians can make, or Jewish advocates for Israel for that matter, in dealing with this is to say that to stand with Israel is to vilify the Arab people, which, by the way, is well in excess of 100 million people. It's hundreds of millions of people. Hundreds of millions of people who the Lord loves and has a plan for the sons of Ishmael, as well as the Persian people who the Lord loves and has a plan for their individual lives, are not the problem here. We need to be very clear. The cause of the Palestinians, who are in a very difficult spot because some of their leaders in the last few decades have exercised terrorism in Israel, and so now there's these walls and these restrictions. Most of the Palestinians didn't cause that, and yet, for the sake of survival of the Jewish people and the Jewish state, now there's all these restrictions. They're in a bad way, too. And millions of Gazans, of uh, Arabs, of Palestinians, are in harm's way right now, too. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a radical extremist agenda in the name of Allah that won't stop until every Jewish person is wiped out. That's the difference. So so that that mission that they have to wipe out every Jewish person, what does that mean for this war? Like, is Israel looking for a peace treaty, which I imagine they're not going to get from Hamas? So, like— what is this going to look like? Is Israel going to fight until Hamas stops? Yeah. Or what does that look like? It's a great question. There's lots of speculation, right? Uh, two Jews, three opinions, yeah. right? So even Israel isn't disclosing. What what Israel is disclosing, and I'd encourage you, if you want to find out what's Israel up to, you can Google IDF Evening Report. IDF Evening Report. And every day right now, Israel has an English fluent spokesperson from the army saying to the world, here's exactly what we're doing. And here's why we're doing it. Don't read the headlines. Don't get somebody's speculative report. You know, don't even listen to a Jew and a Gentile discuss on what the IDF is doing. Hear it from the IDF. Yeah. And that's super helpful. But what they're not saying is exactly how it's going to go, right? It's a military strategy and you haven't. What Israel has said is we will follow the laws of war to minimize, minimize casualties to innocent civilians. And so far, I believe they are. Uh, But Israel has also said, and Netanyahu said it on a special address to the nation Saturday, uh, October 7th, you know, when the war broke out, he said, Hamas is done. Now, again, we need to be careful. What he's not saying is Gaza is done and the Palestinian people living in Gaza is done. What he's saying is the group that participates in a radical jihadist agenda to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth, it is our duty and our obligation to eliminate that threat. We have to because they are a threat to the existence of of the Jewish people in that land. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what we have to understand. I think we're starting to hear more and more, right, as as the number of Gazans who are dead, which is in excess of 3,000 now, grows. And sadly, it's going to continue to grow because Hamas is using civilians as shields, okay? As that grows in the days to come, there's going to be more and more 
uh, rhetoric and speculation, well, Israel's being too hard, Israel should have stopped, we get the point, they punish the terrorists. But Israel can't. Uh, Golda Meir, um, decades ago, who led Israel for a season, said, uh, you know, when people asked about the resolve of the Israeli Defense Forces and the resolve of the Jewish people in the land, she would say, we have a secret weapon, and it's this, that we have no place else to go. And that's still true right now. We need to understand what Israel's doing isn't a quid pro quo, you killed 1,300 of ours, so we're going to do that in some multiplier toward your people. They're saying, you have said that your purpose is to wipe us off the face of the earth. We can't let that happen. Our very survival is at stake. Yeah, just for those listening, uh, we, we keep kind of talking about the IDF. I yeah. just want to say that's like the army of yeah. Israel, the Israel Defense Force. The Israel so, Defense Force, which yeah. in its name, we have to understand its purpose. Hamas is not a Hamas defense force. Right. Hamas showed the world, like, let's take the mask off of, of radical Islamic agendas. I'm not talking about all Muslim peoples or Islam as a religion. Right. Let's take the mask off here of a radical Islamic agenda. In fact, they took it off themselves on October 7th, right? That given the opportunity, they will aggressively mow down innocent lives. life. The IDF, on the other hand, exists solely not to be an aggressor, but to defend Israel against groups surrounding it on almost every side, including now with the, you know, the, the military presence that's coming into the Mediterranean from all kinds of places, Turkey and Russia right. and Iran, right, uh, to defend itself from those who have pledged its destruction. So Israel, as aggressive as it is, is always responding to threats against its existence. Ezra, one of the opinions of not Jewish voice, but some Christians or those who are commenting on this situation is that Israel had it coming. What would you say to that? Right. And I think this is going to be a little bit snarky, okay? But tell me another case in recent history where 1,300 unarmed civilians are mowed down unexpected in their homes, and anybody, anybody said they had it coming. Yeah. But yet, Israel's always a special case, aren't they? And I think, you know, part of what's under that is this view that Israel's been an aggressor in the region, right, that Israel has taken advantage of the plight of the Palestinian people, that they've taken land that didn't belong to them. Again, we could, we could address each of these things and say, here's historically how that isn't actually the case, and here's biblically what we see the Lord doing, and that's an important thing to do, you know, is to highlight what are the promises God did make to Israel. Um, but that's kind of the narrative here as well. You know, this wouldn't have happened if. That, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say something bold here because we've seen a spike in the last 12 days worldwide, worldwide in anti-Semitic threats and anti-Semitic activities. I want to tell you, in 1930s Germany, when Israel, when Israel, when the Jewish people started being, you know, told you can't come to this business anymore, and you shouldn't come after dark to this place, and we need you to stay in your neighborhoods, and you know what, you're not allowed to leave the city, and you know, and then, and then, and then the beatings, and then the food rationing, and this systematic persecution of the Jewish people, the response, because of all the propaganda, because of the, the, the tales people had been told long enough and loud enough surrounding those Central and Eastern European Jewish communities was, well, you know, this wouldn't have happened to them if. Right. Because there was this fundamental belief that the Jewish people were responsible for atrocities beyond their own control. That say they somehow were, were participating in this world, you know, had taken over the media or all these other kinds of things, right? We're controlling all the money. We're taking advantage of the people around them. And I'm sorry to say a little bit of that seems to be what's happening now. 
in the Israel, you know, the Middle East peace process or Middle East crisis that keeps cropping up and now in, in such an acute way with the war on uh, is coming up again. This idea that, well, you know, the Jews, the Jews had it coming. Uh, I don't see that in the circumstances. Yeah. I don't think we'd apply that standard to anyone else. Are there issues in terms of the relationship, the very strained relationship between the government of Israel and the Palestinian Authority? Absolutely there are. Are there ways that the Palestinians have a real bad deal because of the behavior of some of their leaders? Absolutely. Are those things that are easily fixed? No. Are there innocent civilians being killed because the IDF has an obligation to try to destroy terrorists who are committed to, its, to the destruction of the Jewish state and those terrorists are hiding behind civilian shields? Absolutely, that's happening. We can't deny any of that. But to say that, therefore, the Jews deserve what's coming to them in terms of the mowing down of innocent life, you know, a war between the IDF and another force, that's one thing, right? It's the laws of war. President Biden talked about that last week. Everybody should abide by the laws of war. Where there's casualties, it's tragic, but everybody understood they're part of the military representing a nation. Right. But this is not that. This is a terrorist group committed to another ethnic people group's destruction who mowed down innocent life. And to say, well, you know, they deserved it. I just don't see, I don't see the world applying that standard in almost any other case in history. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think what's so interesting about this is that Israel is, you know, I think we've said before, like the size of New Jersey. Right. Very, very small. But it's the center of a lot of biblical sure. narrative. Sure, So... You know, many Christians are going to be wondering, is this the end times? You don't have to yeah. answer that question, Ezra, but right. what does the Bible say about what's happening? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'll say, you know, people have said, is this the end? I, I think we all pray to God this isn't the beginning of World War III, right? And yeah. if Iran gets nuclear and Russia gets nuclear and, you know, Turkey and the U.S. and the U.K. get involved, you know, this is what everybody was afraid of in Ukraine a year and a half yeah. ago, right? that we're having this proxy war because if the big dogs get directly involved in conflict, we're immediately in World War III. And so far, for a lot of reasons, that's been avoided. But now the focus of world attention is on a part of the world, right? A very, as you said, a very specific sliver of land where Christians and Jews, for that matter, because a lot of these, the, the, these scriptures come from the Old Testament, from the Jewish prophets, okay, are dealing with this, this question of, is this the end? Is this World War III? And we're starting to look at these really troubling verses, and I'll mention a couple of them. So, uh, you know, another spoiler alert. Do I think this is World War III? I certainly pray that it's not, and I believe that it is, and I believe that there's going to be some decisive victory over radical Islamic jihad in that jihad in that region. I pray that that's the case. Join us in praying. And I pray that the major world players don't get involved and don't get nuclear. And yet, at the same time, do I think this is kind of a big step forward on the timeline we see laid out in scriptures? Do I think that this is almost like a foretaste address rehearsal as a wake-up call? And it certainly should be a wake-up call for the Christian community and the Jewish community. I totally do. Uh, why is that? And, you know, we've, we've talked about these scriptures in other episodes, perhaps, and people listen and go, yeah, maybe someday, maybe in my lifetime, probably not, right? And we put these, these peculiar, disturbing scriptures in, in a box, and yet 12 days ago they came out of the box because everybody started to go, wait a minute. So in 24 hours, Hamas and the Gaza is against Israel, and then Hezbollah, 
throws their hat in the ring and Lebanon's on alert. And then Turkey comes out and says, we stand with the Palestinian people. Turkey's a pretty big country, a decent power player in the region. And then Iran, now a major world power trying to go nuclear, says, yes, we're not only in, we're going to actively fund any group that's willing to join us in, in the destruction of Israel, right? And so all the nations are in an uproar. And as much as so many nations, the U.S., you know, we're proud of our country these days for saying the U.S. will always stand with Israel. Right. We pray that that's true. Time will tell. The U.K., you know, other nations are saying we are with Israel. So many other nations and groups said the opposite. And I'm thinking of uh, Zechariah 12 through 14. I'd encourage anybody who's trying to make more sense of the times and has an interest in scriptures, look at these three chapters. And it really, the, the three chapters are actually two accounts of the same period of time. It's immediately preceding the return of the Messiah. Um, we know that from the context of the language. Even though it's an Old Testament passage, it talks about the Jewish people worshiping uh, David, their ruler, David, their king. And we understand that the Messiah would come in the line of David. Jesus was in the line of David, you know, uh, one born in the tribe of Judah. And so we, we have these passages, and what it says is th this phrase, it says it a couple times, actually. It says that Jerusalem, and we can understand Israel centered around its capital, Jerusalem. It says Jerusalem will be a cup of drunkenness that makes all the nations go reeling. So what does that mean? It's kind of old, old English language. Yeah. It means that, you know, when somebody gets drunk, they lose their ability to think clearly and control what they do in many cases right? Some hide it better than others. But that's the idea, is that drunkenness brings an inability to think clearly and an, a lack of control over your actions. And what the scriptures are saying in Zechariah is Jerusalem, right? The issue of Jerusalem that's currently in Jewish hands and is also the home on the Temple Mount to the third holiest site in all of Islam will become this cup that when the nations try to deal with Jerusalem, when they ingest the Jerusalem issue, they will find themselves not thinking clearly and not in control of their own actions. And then it goes even farther and says, all the nations shall be gathered together against Jerusalem, right? And we've heard that, right? People, we, we have this kind of flirty thing in the faith community with Armageddon, right? And there's going to be this great battle at the end of the age, and it'll look like Lord of the Rings and, you know, on steroids. And, but that's for some day in the future. And yet, look at what happened in 24 hours. One group makes a move, and multiple nations, multiple special interest groups, and then a big portion of worldwide sentiment said, Yes, this is it. And in fact, last Friday, Carly, was what was called a day of Arab and Muslim mobilization. And they said that the other name for it was Al-Aqsa or Jerusalem Flood Day. This is the day that we've been waiting for when finally we will rush Jerusalem and we will take back the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in right. Islam. And we hear that and we start to go numb and say, okay, that's an Islamic agenda. But wait a minute. The prophets of Israel told us, told us that there would come a day when, and it actually says God will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. That's a whole complex thing for another day. But then it says all the nations would be gathered. And I think we saw a little bit of a foretaste of that, that when the opportunity is right, right, that, that multiple national groups, in fact, the majority of nations on earth will say, this is the chance we've been waiting for. Eliminate the Jewish problem in Jerusalem once and for all and life's going to be better for everybody. We know the Lord won't allow that, and we understand in the context of Zechariah 12 through 14 that when it looks like all is lost, and actually enemy forces at that point have gotten to Jerusalem, it says they carry away half the city captive, millions of Jewish deaths, uh, two-thirds of the inhabitants of the land of Israel, actually, this passage says, at a time in the future will be killed. 
I mean, we just saw 1,300 Jewish deaths. Uh, and, and it's, you know, the nation is in anguish and the world is outraged. Imagine millions. The scriptures tell us that's going to happen. And yet, when it looks like all hope is lost, it says the Messiah comes and he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. And it says, and God himself will go to battle against the nations who have tried to take Jerusalem. So there's this dynamic going on that, that religious agendas, geopolitical agendas, whatever, are making the nations drunk with this idea, right? Not even aware of their own words and actions with this idea that given the chance, we're taking Jerusalem back from the Jews, back from the Jewish people. But then it says, the Lord sees that and he'll deal with it. Well, why? Right? This is the question. Because God has made a promise that in his faithfulness, he would scatter Israel because of our unfaithfulness, but then in his faithfulness at a time in the future, and I believe since the reestablishment of the modern state of Israel, we're living in those times, he would regather the exiles, the outcasts of Israel from all the places where we've been scattered, and he would plant us in our own land again. And it says he would do it actually as a banner for the nations. Like, you want to know that I'm alive and large and in charge? Look what I did with the people I made promises to. And the nations... Some would say, the Lord, he is God, but many, if not most, would rage against that and say the God of Israel will not rule over us and we will eliminate his people and we will prevent his return, but God's not going to allow it. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about a wake-up call for Christians. Yeah. Um, I mean, explain what you mean by that, but to me, I think it's an interesting moment in time yeah. where Christians who maybe were on the the border of understanding Israel or why right. to stand with Israel, they have to make up their minds and right. decide why. Right. Because I think often as Christians, we say, we stand with Israel. Right. We're not really sure why or what that means or how to do it, yep. but we stand with them. But now this is like turning into a huge world issue. And like you're saying, sure. it's a wake up call. Sure. They have to decide, do I stand with Israel? Yeah. Why do I stand with Israel? What does that mean? Right. I think, let me let me answer in two ways. One, again, you know, tongue-in-cheek here, one is a little bit appealing to the self-interest of believers, okay? And the second is appealing to an irrevocable responsibility that believers may not even know they have, but it's so clear in the scriptures. Okay, so first, the self-interest. I'm talking to Christians here, right? I guess I'm talking to Jewish people, too. Are we longing for the days of the Mashiach, of the Messiah, right? We're waiting for the Messiah to come? Look at what the prophets said was necessary in order to see those days. A time of great difficulty for the Jewish people, but then he would come to rescue us. Now, I believe he's Yeshua. I believe he's Jesus. And I guess we'll find out one day. But the scriptures in Zechariah say very clearly, we will look on the one whom we've pierced. That's funny language. Who was pierced? Zechariah, not a New Testament writer. Zechariah says, we'll look on the one whom we've pierced and we'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Well, why are we mourning? Because we'll see the one who is the Messiah and we'll go, oh, it's Yeshua. And the one that we've rejected for two millennia is actually the one who wanted to gather us together like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, like Jesus says, but we weren't willing. And so there's this great mourning, okay? But then there's also this national recognition of the Messiahship of Jesus. And Jesus said very clearly on the Mount of Olives, I'm telling you, Jerusalem, which we can say is representative of the Jewish people living in the land of Israel, okay? You're not going to see me again until you cry out this big messianic declaration. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch HaBashem Anonai. So that's the Jewish side of the equation. But for Christians, back to the Christians for a minute, right? The self-serving answer. Do you want to see Jesus return? Right? Like, Carly, you want to see Jesus return? Of course. I want to see, the Messi I want to see Jesus the Messiah return to rule and reign, right? How's that going to happen? The old and the New Testament are very clear that there have to be Jewish people living in the land of Israel 
in the city of Jerusalem to recognize him for who he is and to welcome him back. He ain't coming back unless that's true. So if I'm the enemy whose goose is cooked when, when Jesus comes to trample his enemies under his feet, what am I going after? I'm going after the existence of God's chosen people, the Jewish people. I'm going after their presence in the land of Israel. And I'm going after the city of Jerusalem being in Jewish hands. So why should this matter to Christians? This is a wake-up call. Like the, the, I'll say the demonic, the, the, the evil tide here beyond the battle we're seeing in the natural fought by men. The thing that's going on is, I'll say, a satanic, demonically inspired attempt to whatever degree he can to prevent, uh, to delay or to prevent the return of Jesus. Now, we know that's not happening, right? The enemy's goose is cooked. He's done. It's just a matter of time. But how can he delay it? How can he thwart the plans? How can he bring as much destruction as possible before that day? I think that's what we're seeing. So Christians who are going, why should I care about what's happening in Israel and the Middle East? If you care about the return of Jesus, start caring more about what's happening with his chosen people and with the land that he's promised to those people. Okay? Yeah. That's the self-interest answer. Okay? Now, the, the more selfless answer, and we talk about this a little bit, but I think, Carly, on this podcast, we'll probably, in light of the last 12 days and how kind of, you know, this is a game changer in world thinking. We have to talk about this more. Everybody loves Paul's language in Romans where he says that the Gentiles, right, those wild olive branches have been grafted into this tree whose roots are the faith of Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob, right? And we say, yeah, amen, I'm part of the commonwealth of Israel. I'm grafted into the blessings. I'm grafted into the inheritance. I'm grafted into that fatness of that tree. Amen. But you know what? If you're part of the family, then you take the good with the bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the wake-up call for Christians right now. You want the blessings of being part of the commonwealth of Israel? Then you're going to have to endure some of the sufferings and stand with his chosen people and the hardships as well. Because we can't take the good and reject the bad. And I think, Carly, even looking to the days to come, like Jesus made it very clear when he talks about the last days. It's some disturbing passages. But he's saying, I want you to know what's going to happen so you're not offended at me and don't let your hearts be troubled. But if we're not careful on this issue and we keep putting the issue of Israel and the Jewish people in a box till later, right. it's not going to get easier to deal with it. And my concern for the Christian body is that many may actually disassociate from the Lord because they don't know how to reconcile suddenly being connected with the suffering of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. But if your faith in the God of Abraham is actually knit together in an olive tree, right? You've been made in this one kind of, this one new man family. What does that mean? It means that Jewish believe, the remnant of Israel through faith in Jesus and Believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation brought into the kingdom through faith in Jesus are now in this funny, unlikely, but God-ordained family relationship. And if my family's hurting, then I'm hurting. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not, if I feel nothing for the hurting of a family member that I've been adopted into, what, was I ever a part of it to begin with? Right. So I think there's a real challenge right now for the Christian community. And I don't mean that to be heavy-handed. I just mean I think we need to ask the Lord, every one of us individually, and we should be asking at our churches and our congregations, how am I to respond? Like, what is the Lord after in me? Mm -hmm. As I look at the headlines I'm seeing and I look at what's happening with the Jewish state and the Jewish people in Israel, and I look at the anti-Semitism spiking against Jewish communities worldwide and try to make sense of all the complexities and all the rhetoric and all the propaganda on either side, what is the Lord after? Mm -hmm. And I think we can find our answers in the scriptures. 
Christians are part of a family, and that family, the roots of that family, many of whom have been cut off because of our unbelief as a people. But Paul says, make no mistake, he can bring them back in. When they recognize who he is, he can certainly graft them in again. Parts of the tree are hurting. Parts of the tree are hurting, and we have to walk through that hurt as much as we enjoy the blessing. I think that's really important for Christians to know that you're invited into this. This isn't totally. like sometimes it feels like we're watching a movie, like on the other side of the ocean. No, like you're invited into this. Like sure. it's in the Bible. It's not Ezra and Carly right. inviting you. Read about it. Like you should be in this grieving alongside the totally. Jewish people for the Jewish people. Totally. Um, one, of the greatest, one of the greatest opportunities for the gospel between now and when Jesus does return, we hope it's in our lifetime, we pray that yeah. it is, right? Come quickly, is going to be the extravagant love that followers of Jesus, okay, Christians, Messianic Jews also, but predominantly Gentile followers of Jesus are going to be able to demonstrate to Jewish people. I think Jewish revival will happen in large part because of the love that Christians show those Jewish men and women in times of greatest need. But we got to deal with the issues now because it won't be easier when there's, when there's more darkness, more, more uh, politicized opposition. Yeah. And I think we have to remember that there are believers in this area, in, in Israel, in the Middle East. Absolutely. There are brothers and sisters of us there. Yep. And hopefully this brings unity and more support to them as yep. well. Totally. We're hearing, you know, I'm you know, texting constantly with friends in Israel, uh, family actually, my wife's family, uh, one of whom is in active duty combat right now on the Gaza border. And it's scary and we're praying for him and praise God, you know, he's been protected and is, you know, leading some awesome efforts there. Uh, some horrifying things he has to see, but awesome. But we're, we're hearing on a larger scale uh, Jewish believers throughout the land of Israel, even some who lived in the villages that were attacked, okay, and had to leave their homes. They're homeless right now, yet in the midst of the homelessness, they're saying, how can we have an impact? How can we show comfort? How can we show love? How can we share hope? How can we share our faith that God has a plan for our people and that all those plans and promises are yes in Yeshua, mm -hmm. in Jesus our Messiah? So there's a real activation right now, Carly, um, of the Messianic Jewish community, and we need to pray with those people. We need to support them how we can. You know, you and I are not filming, not recording from Israel today, right. but we're in touch with those who are, who are right in harm's way, and who are making an impact. And the other really cool thing is Arab Christians who are, who are unified in greater and greater measure, even though there's such a battle against it, right? Their families have been trained to hate each other, Jewish and Arab families. But Messianic Jews and Arab Christians are working together right now in the land of Israel, praying for one another. How can I support you? How can I help you? How can I get you the aid that you need? That's really awesome. That alone is a testimony of, of uh, really the life transformation that God can bring. Yeah. You know, Ezra, I just want to touch on for a minute that we, you and I, work for Jewish Voice, uh, which is produces this podcast, but we're not just commenting on, you know, things happening in Israel. We actually support ministries who are in Israel. Right. And you're not going to hear about this on Fox News or what, whatever sure. news station you sure. watch, which is actually a really great opportunity for us to hear what's actually happening from people Totally. Like you even mentioned, your wife and family yeah, yeah. members. Tell us a little bit about what we're what we're actually hearing from people on the ground that we're connected with. Yeah, in terms of needs that are being met yes, and how yeah. people can be involved. Yeah, displaced families is a huge one, right? In the first in the south, beginning 
12 days ago, and then also now in the north, because Hezbollah is, you know, launching this increasingly violent attack. So families are having to leave their villages and towns in the north of Israel. Everybody's coming to the center. And so Messianic Jewish families are hosting displaced families and traumatized families. So what does that mean? It means people... Either their houses were destroyed or they have no access to any of their possessions. So basic things right now. I mean, it may sound strange. People go, Israel's a first world country, right? Yeah, but if you and I were suddenly forced out of our homes or our home was destroyed overnight, we'd have basic needs too. Right. So basic needs, clothing is one. People are making hot meals for soldiers, uh, making hot meals for displaced families who don't have a kitchen to cook in, uh, drinking water, you know, so people aren't drinking out of questionable faucets here and there. So just kind of basic supplies for displaced families is a big need. Secondly, um, support of IDF soldiers. Now, of course, the government's outfitting them with the military equipment they need. But within the course of one week, okay, the size of the Israeli military tripled because they called in all their reserves who represent double the size of the normal active IDF. Well, what does that mean practically? It means the kitchens in the IDF barracks are are overrun. They're not able to make enough meals, right? Phone chargers are scarce. I mean, that's actually one ministry's ministry right now is distributing batteries and phone chargers to IDF soldiers. And we go, well, that's such a simple thing. Is that really an urgent need? Well, if I'm on the front lines and I can't call my family because I don't have a way to charge my phone and they're waiting to hear if I'm okay, an urgent need for my family. So simple things like that. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing, we talked about displaced families, uh, goods and care for them, um, getting supplies needs to IDF soldiers on the front lines. Uh, And the third need that is going to go on even after this war is over. And we pray for a swift, decisive victory and an elimination of terrorist entities in that region. I'm praying it in Jesus' name, in Yeshua's name. Uh, Even if the war ended tomorrow, Carly, there's going to be the ongoing trauma, and we're hearing that too. One of one of my good friends said, I'm hosting three families in my home, gave out every spare room. They're all living on mattresses. Yeah. Uh, and two of those families had a relative murdered in the South wow. by the terrorists. Mm-hmm. How do you care for a family who's just lost a child, a brother, a spouse, right, a parent, to radical terrorism they never saw coming? They were in their home, and next thing you know, somebody's dead. Uh, there's a tremendous need for trauma counseling and spiritual care, which is going to go on in Israel. And where many are going, I don't know how to care for these people. I believe there will be a real opportunity for the believing community to step in and say, the Lord's given me comfort, so let me comfort you with the comfort I've received from him. Mm -hmm. So those are the three things. So it sounds like for a Christian listening who's thinking, and I even feel this like, wow, I feel so much grief for the situation. Of course, I want to do something. What can I do? Right. Prayer. If we really believe that God is the God who we say He is, yeah. then we have to pray, pray, pray for these pray. things. Like, and you said for victory. What, what are we praying for? We're praying for victory right. for Israel and the Jewish people. Amen. And for needs of the the people there and the families and, and all of those yeah. things. Right. And then, and we don't ask this a lot on this podcast, but you can support financially. Yeah. Like that's. If you feel called to do that, do so. We're not begging you to do that, but if that's something you want to do, we have a fund that's going directly to those ministries. Right, 100% of the uh, gifts to this fund are going right to Israel, um, according to the needs that our 80-something partner ministries on the ground there, boots right. on the ground. Uh, both Messianic Jews and Arab Christians living in Israel uh, are making are making known to us. So if you want to get involved... Um, JewishVoice.org is a very practical way. There's there's a, a button there, and you can see the list of the needs that we're meeting. That list 
unfortunately, even though it's our joy to be involved, right, and make a difference, that yeah. list will grow yeah. substantially in the coming days as the needs become more known to us. And we're just at the beginning of the situation yeah. here. But that's a great practical way to get involved. Yeah. And, you know, like I said at first, I prayer is something we're asking for. It's yeah. not just a, a throwaway request. It's yeah. something where if all Christians are praying in unity, right. we'll be incredibly strong. Totally. Totally. This is, you know, when you're dealing with a a spiritually dark onslaught with with the faceplate of a radical Islamic holy war agenda, then the thing we must do, the thing we can't afford not to do, is call on the Lord. If we really believe he's the God of all flesh and that he wins every battle he gets into, then we need to call upon him and ask him to do just that in this season. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope this podcast was helpful for those listening, giving some context, some framework of what's happening in Israel, along with, you know, what we're hearing right from our partner ministries on the ground in Israel and how you can support either financially or through prayer. You can also get more information on Jewish Voice's website, like Ezra said, jewishvoice.org. We're posting daily videos, content as much as we have them. So please check that out. And thanks so much for tuning in today.